So I'm wondering, when are you the hungriest? Is it like when you get up in the morning because you haven't eaten for like 10 hours? Or maybe it's later on in the morning because you've been working hard all day, but it's not quite time for lunch yet. Or maybe it's late at night because dinner was a long time ago and you haven't been snacking all night long. Or maybe for you it's after a workout. I wonder when it is that you are the hungriest. How many of you it would be like all of those, right? All of the above, right? And how many of you are like, what's a workout? No, okay. Got a few of you there. Got a few of you there also. For me, I'm always famished after I'm done preaching. Because I don't eat before the services typically, and then by the time it's over and I've been preaching, I'm really, really hungry. So if you really want to encourage me after a sermon, you can either come up and say, man, that message was life-changing, or just slip me a Snickers. Either way, it's like I'm, I'm going to feel really encouraged in that. And uh, so all of us get hungry. We know that. All of us have cravings for certain sorts of things. And of course, when you hear that word craving, a lot of times our minds go immediately to pregnant women, right? Because a lot's been said and written about what they crave. And uh, I actually saw an article, five of the top eight things that a pregnant woman craves are these. Sweets, meat, carbs, ice cream, and junk food. I saw that list and it's like, am I pregnant? (laughs) Because those are all things that sound really, really appealing to me as well. Well, whether you're pregnant or not, we all get hungry. We all have cravings for certain different things. And as we come to the text that we are going to be exploring together today, what we're going to discover is that we find a lot of hungry people here also and a lot of craving. And it might not be a craving for exactly what you think, but we're going to dig into this. This is one of the best known of all of the miracles that Jesus performs. And we're going to dig into it. In fact, even if you're not a regular church attender, maybe this is the first time you've come to church. If that's you, then, then welcome. We're thrilled to have you as a part of the Pathway family. But if that's something that would be true of you, even if you haven't been to church, you're probably at least a little bit familiar with this particular miracle of Jesus. It's the feeding of the 5,000. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, you can find it if you want to open up in a Bible or in your Bible app in Luke chapter 9. That's the passage that we're going to be using to study our way through this. It'll be helpful to you to have that open in your lap. There's a bulletin for you there also and some page numbers that might help you in whatever venue you're in or maybe you're even listening in online today wherever that is that this is finding you maybe the maybe the classic venue today also uh, welcome to you we are grateful that you are here the reality today is that people are hungry for all sorts of things Even spiritual things. In fact, studies are showing that spiritual interest is actually on the rise and and significantly so. People are exploring and they've got questions, but oftentimes instead of us stepping up or stepping into those situations and offering what it is that we have to share, what a lot of people are doing, what we're discovering, they're actually backing away from it because they don't necessarily feel equipped to speak into the situation. And that's a problem, and we definitely want to address that. And the result is that opportunities are missed all the time to the detriment of those people who are seeking. What we need are people who are going to step up and step in instead of stepping back and stepping 
out. It would be great if there was a way to build confidence in what it is that we have to offer so that we might feel more equipped to walk into those situations. And I believe that just such a thing exists, and I believe that we're going to find it as we dig into this text. And you might be here as one who would be saying, I'm one who's needing the answers. I don't need to just have them so that I might speak to somebody else, but I need to have them for myself, and it's a good thing that you're here also because this passage offers answers, and it offers hope, and it it offers life. We're going to dig into it together. To To get a handle on this, we're going to see Jesus step into the lives of a lot of different hungry people. Hungry, maybe not exactly in the way that you're thinking about it, but hungry just the same. And as he does, he teaches his followers some important lessons. And the first of those is this, to anticipate the unexpected. To anticipate the unexpected. We all have unexpected things that come our way from time to time. One of those that happened to Carolyn and me recently was that somebody, there was a, the, the doorbell that went off. And, and so we went and we answered the door. And there was somebody standing there that we knew very well. But it was surprising to us because this person lives several states away. But there they were, they had their suitcase, and they were there for a few days. Surprise! We're here, right? Okay, now in this particular case, this person was welcome. We were glad to have them. Don't you try that. (laughs) That might not go so well. Whether you're coming to my house, you're going to somebody else's, I don't know, but I wouldn't suggest it. And it definitely was unexpected that that person was there, but it wasn't 100% shocking that the person was there. And that's what we're going to see in this text, is we're going to see a situation where it's definitely unexpected, the things that happen, but it's not 100% shocking, and we're going to see why. Luke chapter 9 and verse 10 is where this passage gets rolling that we're going to look at, so take a look at it if you would. It says this, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. So what's the setting of the scene here? Well, the disciples had been with, or have been with Jesus a long time at this point. They've heard him preach. They have seen him go and, and heal people and cast out demons and even raise the dead at this point in his ministry. And they've seen all of that happen. And so what we see actually as this chapter begins before our text, we see that Jesus is now sending out the disciples to go and preach the gospel and heal some people themselves. In fact, if we rewind to verse 6 of chapter 9, here's what we see. It says, so they set out and went from village to village. These are the disciples proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. That is super cool that the disciples are now going and doing the same ministry that Jesus has been doing. And now they've come back, and this scene is that they are getting away with Jesus so that they can talk about what has happened and debrief a little bit about what's been going on for them. Verse 10 continues, Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. The plan was to have a little bit of alone time together so that they could talk about what has been happening. If you ever wanted to be with someone, just be alone with that person, maybe a boyfriend, maybe a girlfriend, maybe some other context, but, but it just doesn't work out that way. It's like your dad walks in and says, no, 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 if you two guys, or if you two go out, you boyfriend, you girlfriend, then you're going to have to take your your bratty little brother with you to the movies, right? You're going to have to take him along. You're going to have to take him to the park, that sort of thing. That used to happen to me all the time. Not a bratty little brother. I've got a, I've got a sister. Let's just leave it there, all right? 
Well, the disciples want to be alone with Jesus, but it's not working out that way. So verse 11 continues. So Jesus and the disciples called an Uber and sped away. All right, they didn't do that. They probably wanted to do something like that. Here's what it actually says. He welcomed them. The crowds it's talking about, he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. That just kind of like zips right past us. It's so nonchalant that, oh yeah, and Jesus healed everybody who needed healing. Well, that's pretty cool. You would think there might be exclamation points, but it's just kind of pointing out the fact that this is actually sort of a commonplace thing where Jesus is present in the first century as he's carrying on his ministry. He's just healing everybody that's around. And as the story goes on, we're going to see that it's now getting late in the day. Late in the day. And what's Jesus been doing all day? He's been healing people. He's also been preaching. And it's late in the day, which means that he's been preaching all day long. And people are sitting there, and they're very happy to hear long sermons. And nobody is saying, well, he should preach long sermons because he only works one day a week. Yeah, nobody's saying that either. These are nice people here. The crowd is happy to listen because they're hungry for what Jesus has to say. In fact, they're so engrossed with the food that he is feeding them spiritually that they have, they've kind of lost track of the fact that they haven't eaten any food physically. And so now things are starting to get hungry and it's getting late in the day. Well, that's what it says, verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. It's very good that the disciples are interested in caring for, caring for the logistic needs of all these people to try to feed them and there's no Chick-fil-A around. There's no Christian fast food to send them to. So they tell Jesus to disperse the crowd. I mean, how else are they going to eat unless they go fend for themselves? Verse 13, he replied, you give them something to eat. Jesus to the disciples, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of fish and or five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. This is a fascinating interaction between Jesus and the disciples. He tells them to go feed them, and all they can see from their point of view is smallness. They can see the limitations, not the resources that might be at their disposal in this circumstance. They see the smallness of the resources they have compared to the enormity of the need. And I wonder if we ever find ourselves in that sort of a situation as well, where we look on the circumstances that are present in our life, we look at the problems that have come crashing upon us, and all we can see is the smallness of the resource to help us to get through what it is that we're facing. Or that we just don't have what it takes at all. It's not even that we have a small resource. It's like we have no resources whatsoever. And I find that to be a little bit comical when it comes to the situation that we're facing right here, that the disciples were in. They had just gotten back from a tour where God had given them, Jesus had given them, all the power and authority that was already his. And what they have just been doing is casting out demons, preaching the gospel, and healing the sick. That's what they've been doing. Now they just got back. They're watching Jesus preach all day long and healing people along the way. But when this need is presented to them, they're like, oh man, I don't know what we're going to do. We better just send them away so that they can go fend for themselves. 
They're seeing the smallness of their resource from their point of view over against the enormity of the need. They're thinking there isn't anything at all that we can possibly do for them. Does that seem a little bit odd to you, given where they've been and what they've experienced? It's like there's no correlation in their mind between where they've been and now where they are. And how easily do I and maybe you also fall into that same trap. We've seen God at work in our lives. We've seen God at work in our church. We've seen what's been accomplished as we've trusted him, as we've stepped out in faith, as we have worked in concert with who God is and what it is that God does in our midst. And then we turn a corner and we start to doubt ourselves. We start to doubt God. We start to doubt the impact that we could possibly have in this new situation. And we shrink back and feel as though we're just sort of starting from ground zero yet again. Like there's nothing that's happened that should give us any sort of confidence. That's what the disciples are doing. And that's what I do sometimes. And that's what you probably do sometimes also. The way that I think we ought to consider this consider sort of the work that God does and our engagement with him is more like the rungs of a ladder, if you will. So God shows up and he does his thing and we experience the blessings that come. Inevitably, there have been so many times we could point to the different blessings upon blessings upon blessings that there have been. We've experienced as a church, you've experienced as an individual. And when those happens like that, ought to take us up on the rung, at least the first rung of that ladder. And from that rung of the ladder, we can see things in a way that we didn't used to see them because we've experienced God's response to our steps of faith. We've seen his blessing on us. And from that new place that we are on that rung, we ought to be able to now take a step toward the second one because we can step out in a greater, bolder faith than we've ever had before because we've now seen God, we've seen what he has done, and it should inspire us to move forward. And we're at that new rung, and so now we step out in a new faith, which now takes us sort of to the second rung of that ladder, from which we can do even greater things because God is continuing to work in us, and we've seen what it is that he can do, which inspires us to take greater risks of faith to move forward. But what I see happen so very often is that instead of us just continuing to climb that ladder and walk in greater and greater faith, what I see happening is that this faith sort of of leaks. And instead of having a new starting point from which to carry out our ministry, from which to trust God to do in our midst what it is that God would desire to do in us, what happens is that we shrink back. We go back to ground level and every time we sort of step out into a new experience, it's like we're starting at the bottom saying, well, what if God doesn't come through? Well, God's come through again and again and again. We've been up the rungs of this ladder. Well, what if he doesn't this time? Well, why would that be something that would be in God's interest to not show up when it is we're stepping out to do something he's calling us to do there's no reason to believe that but yet we find ourselves back down at ground level sort of crawling when we could be soaring and that's what's happening here for these disciples as well instead when we gain the first rung we need to exercise a new faith we need to step off in new endeavors yes it's going to require risk it's going to require trust but that's who God is and that's how he works in our midst And shame on us for not experiencing the things that God would have for us because we haven't been willing to operate in the realm that he has called us to operate in the first place. Jesus just had to shake his head when the disciples are, man, we can't figure out any way whatsoever to feed this crowd. When yesterday they were healing the sick. And all afternoon Jesus has been 
doing miracle after miracle after miracle. Do you ever fall in that trap? Where it's like, well, I just don't know that I can trust that much. Look at what God has done all along the way. That's evidence and reason for you to take a new leap from where you are to where it is that God would have you to go. There's every reason to soar, but we choose to crawl instead. That's what these guys are doing too. Shame on all of us. The disciples discounted the miraculous and it kept them from seeing the possibilities that were right there in front of them. That's our key truth for today. I want to be sure that we don't miss. Let's throw it up here if we can. Discounting the divine is no bargain. See, normally a discount is a bargain. Not in this case. If we're discounting the divine and who God is and what it is that he's done, that's no bargain. That's leading us nowhere good. Not at all. We need to lean into the fact that God works in the realm of the divine and we need to look for it in the everyday and live in it rung by rung by rung by rung. I understand that God doesn't always intervene with the unusual, but we would do well to anticipate the unexpected, like we're saying here in this first point, because it opens our minds and our hearts to the fact that God desires to work in the situations of our lives, because he wants us to be partnering in what it is the work is that he's called us to do. Leads to another essential we find here, and that's to start with what you have. Back to verse 14, Luke tells us that there were about 5,000 men present. Incidentally, in just a little bit of trivia here for you. Maybe someday this will win you a prize. So this is the only miracle that Jesus performs that is reported or that is recounted in every one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the only one you'll find in all of them of what Jesus does. So in Matthew's gospel, he actually says, yes, there were 5,000 men present, but he goes on to make the point that that's the number of men who were present. There were also women and there were, there were also children. So there's likely somewhere between 10 and 15,000 mouths that need the bread and the fish. That's a lot of tilapia is what that is. All right, so verse 14 continues, but he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This miracle is interesting to me for a number of different reasons reasons but one of them is just the contemplation of how did Jesus do it I mean how did he actually create the additional bread and the fish that was needed I mean was there a big basket next to him and he just kept reaching into it maybe it had a lid or a cloth on it. he just kept reaching in and, and there was always just more in there for him to pull out so you didn't really ever see the miracle happen was this more of a of an I dream of genie thing where his hands are open and it's just like nod and fish appear on his hands I mean it could have been that we we don't know we're really not told could it be that when the disciples were carrying the baskets of food to these different groups of 50 that it just kept getting heavier and heavier because there was stuff that was just starting to appear on it. Well, we're really not told how it, how it happened. Have you ever wondered that? No, it's just me. All right, well, that's fine. That's, that's fine. I'm, I'm just the odd one out here in this. But I think about those things. But that interests me. But so does the fact that Jesus uses these five loaves and two fish in the first place. 
I mean, think about that. He didn't need to do that. It would have been just as easy for him to look out on the crowd and say, I'm going to feed all of you, and so let's get started. And he just starts making it appear. But he doesn't do that. He starts with the five loaves and the two fish. He could have made the meal anything that he wanted. It could have been something that they'd never had before. He could have served them hamburgers on buns made from Krispy Kreme donuts and a side of mac and cheese if he wanted. Could have been that. He could have blown their minds by serving them cheesecake for dessert. If he wanted to, he could have done any of those things. But he doesn't want to blow their mind, you see, at least not with the food. If he'd have done that, that's probably all they would have talked about was the food that they had eaten that Jesus had provided on that occasion. And it's not about the food. There's a principle here that the disciples are learning that we don't want to miss either. And that is that God is gracious in giving resources to people. In this case, for the disciples, it's these five loaves and two fish. Right? They're not going to feed everybody, but they're symbolic of the fact that God is providing on their behalf. All right? It's a start that the disciples have in their hands. It can get the ministry started, but it's not going to get the ministry finished. If the ministry is going to get finished, they know that they have to take what little they have, and they know they need to take it to Jesus so that he might bless it and so that he might multiply it, so that he might expand it, so that he might do his part of the deal, as it were, and that's what happens here. And that's what happens for us also. I want you to catch this parallel. See, because God gives us gifts. God gives us talents. He puts something into our hands, just like he has done right here. We have resources, and we can start with what we have. That's what we're saying here in this point. That's why God gives it to you in the first place. But if that's all the more that you ever have at your disposal, you're not going to do ministry on the scale that God wants to use you to do ministry. That's not at the scale with which he gave you those things to use in the first place, right? Imagine the notions of the disciples taking those five loaves and two fish and trying to feed the entire crowd just with what they already had in their hands. It would have been futile. Maybe many of them would have gotten a little bit of taste, but not everyone, and certainly not everyone would have been satisfied. There would have been no real substance to what it is that, it, that they're giving to them. See, when we start with what we have and then take it to God for his filling, that's when things really start to happen. Because it's what we have that he's put into our hands, gifts and talents that are given back to him for his purposes, that the combination of those two things lead to something that is possible beyond what you possibly ever could have done on your own. And that's where God wants us to operate. He, for whatever reason, sees fit to use his people to accomplish his purposes. He didn't need the disciples at all. He didn't need the bread and the fish at all. But he chooses to use it, and he chooses to do it through his disciples because there's something that they gain out of that. It causes their faith to grow, and there's something that others gain out of it all at the same time. It's your talent plus God's touch that equals total impact. It's your talent plus God's touch that equals total impact what it is that he desires. Remember our key truth. Discounting the divine is no bargain. Leaving God out of the equation, leaving the divine out of the equation of what it is he calls us to do is no bargain. It leads us nowhere good. Nowhere good. And that leads to the last of these essentials, and it's this, to prioritize compassion. Every miracle we have looked at in this series has demonstrated compassion on the part of Jesus. 
Whether it's been healing the sick, whether it's been raising the dead, whether it's been casting out demons, there's compassion that he is showing on the recipient of those miracles. And the same thing is true here in this passage that we have for today, but it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different because I doubt that there were many, if any, in that whole crowd of 10 to 15,000 who if they did not get this particular meal at this particular time, that they would have starved. I'll bet there were none. They could have just gone off later after the whole meeting time ended, after Jesus was done talking to them, maybe after it got dark and gone and found some food, or maybe they just would skip that evening meal. How many of us would do just fine to skip a meal? Maybe we'd do better if we'd skip a meal or two now, now and then, right? They could have gone and taken care of it. Their, the urgency of this food is probably not all that intense, Yet Jesus provides it. And we see that, I think, for at least a couple of different reasons. One is that he is simply showing compassion. He could have just sent them away. Yeah, they're really hungry. They may not have had, eaten all day. Maybe they haven't had any food today. He could have just sent them away. The disciples are asking Jesus to go ahead and send them away, but he doesn't. It's simply a demonstration, I think, of his compassion. It's just compassion is a part of his nature. It's part of his character. We've experienced that ourselves, each of us, in any of a number of ways. We can be grateful for that, no doubt about it. We too should be people of compassion. When we look around us, there are all sorts of people that need a touch of kindness, a touch of this sort of compassion, and we all have the ability to extend that in the name of Jesus. And when we do, it not only provides for whatever that need might happen to have been that we're demonstrating compassion toward, but it also opens up engagement. See, it opens up engagement and a connection between us and the person to whom we are showing that kindness or that compassion in the name of Jesus. When we as a church give to give joy when we do the wells in Liberia and the other places that we have done wells, we do that because we have a heart of compassion. We have a desire to bless the people who are in desperate need in that region, in that you know, regard. And so that's been a tremendous blessing to them, but it also opens up engagement because as the wells are dug, as they are commissioned, it also provides for gathering. It, 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 it allows for there to be a living water of the gospel that goes right along with that. And that is just as much a part of our prayer is that people would not only have water for their physical need, but they'd have living water for their spiritual need. When we show compassion, it opens up engagement. In this regard, let me encourage you to be generous with your own compassion. I know it's very easy to get skeptical about the compassion that we might show to other people because of the nature of the person who might be coming and saying, well, I've got a need that I think that you should meet. I did an internship back when I was in seminary and it was in the inner city and so we were constantly having people who were coming and they were asking for handouts. They were asking for food and other sort of help that we would provide and, and as I came on they, they told me that there's this one person who had a reputation for scamming the system and they told me 
that I really shouldn't help him if he came in. And sure enough, he came in. And, and so I told him that I wouldn't be able to help him. Felt a little bit bad about that, but uh, told him I wouldn't be able to help him. And this guy actually threatened to call the cops on me for not giving him a handout, which I thought was kind of interesting. So yeah, there are extreme situations and we need to apply wisdom and discernment. But I've got to tell you, I would far rather err on the side of being compassionate in a time when maybe I shouldn't than err on the side of not being compassionate in a possibility that I should have. I think that's just a far better posture that we would take. Beside, I want, you to, I want you to think about this here. I want you to think about the fact that even if you do give when it might not have really been completely needed, that even then it's appropriate. Think about these 5,000 or 10 to 15,000 that are being fed here. Think about this. Do you think that there was anybody in that crowd of 10 to 15,000 who had some food when Jesus' disciples were handing out other food for them to eat? Absolutely yes. There's no doubt that somebody had some food, but they continued to receive what it is that Jesus was distributing through the disciples. And do you think Jesus was upset with that? (laughs) Not at all. Absolutely not. I don't think it made a bit of difference to him whatsoever. That's because it wasn't about whether or not it was fair. It was whether or not it built faith. This whole miracle isn't something that's desperately needed or everybody's going to starve, but it is desperately needed because it tells them about Jesus. It tells them about his power. It it required them to become engaged with the whole process and ask themselves, who is this Jesus? What gives him the power to do what it is that he is doing? See, it wasn't about the food. It was about the faith. And so often in other miracles, even when it might be life or death, even when it might be a sickness that has now been healed, even then, it's not as much about the miracle to provide for the recipient as it is about what it tells us about Jesus and how we now must ask ourselves, what do I need to do with this Jesus and with this that I have now seen? And when you step up and when you provide that same sort of compassion, it forces that same kind of contemplation on the part of somebody else. It's an open door. It's an opportunity for you to say, well, here's why I desire to be compassionate toward you. Here's why I want to do that act of kindness. It's not just because I'm a nice person. It's because Jesus inspires me to do this. Creates that connection passage concludes verse 17 they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over i think that's a demonstration of compassion also think about it how many basketfuls does it say are left over how many 12 how many disciples are there hmm you do the math I don't think there's any doubt but that this is compassion that Jesus is demonstrating toward his own disciples. Jesus was caring for their needs, just like all the crowd, just like you and me, just like you and me. Jesus always has a plan, and he includes us in it. 
I know we mess up so much, I would think, Jesus, why did you ever come up with that plan? But he did. And as you think about it, as you work to carry it out, anticipate the unexpected. Don't live in just such a way that is like, well, everything's natural. I can only do what I can do based on what I already have, and I'm not expecting Jesus to show up. Friends, if that's your posture, even if he does, you'll miss him because you're not watching for it. Anticipate the unexpected. It's the realm that God operates in. Anticipate the unexpected. Start with what you have because God has given to all of us something, some gift that isn't just for your own personal consumption. It's for the sake of the building up of the body for the sake of the witness that you can carry forward to the people who surround you so that you might be able to bring something supernatural into the world of that person on behalf of Jesus. Start with what you have. He gives it to you for a reason. But don't just leave it in that. Seek to align that together with what he would be calling you to do. And then prioritize compassion. It means getting outside of yourself means looking beyond just simply what's in this for me. It means opening your heart to the people who are around you. And instead of kind of turning the other way when you see the need because I can't completely be sure if that's a big need, if it's a little need, if I help them, is that kind of egg on my face because they weren't that. Prioritize compassion. Let God sort it out. I don't think God is on judgment day going to call you out because you are too compassionate your choice it's my choice on how we're going to respond and I pray that we would take the model that Jesus demonstrates even in the circumstance of a miracle that might not have been all that needed from a strictly physical standpoint because it requires us to ask why is it that God does what he does why is it he puts in our hands what he puts in our hands It's not just for our own sake. It's for the sake of others. We have a responsibility. You're going to encounter some people this week. And I pray that together, I pray that I, because I can fall in that trap as well as anybody else, would not look the other way, would not just skeptically say, well, I'm not going to help them, just in case, just in case. I just pray that we would be people who would be the hands hands and feet of Jesus speak into the circumstances where we can to bring him glory, to bring benefit to others, and to see his will accomplished. Let's do that together, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your call in our lives. Thank you that you have much that you want us to do. Thank you for the fact that you don't just sort of throw us out there and say, good luck, but rather you put in our hands, in our lives, things that enable us to be your hands and feet that inspire us. And here's a way to move forward because here's what you've put in my hands. Here's what you have given to me as a resource, as a talent, as a gift. And now I want to move forward with that. But Lord, I don't want to go alone because I want this to be something that is done in your power, not in my power. I don't want to feed a few people with a few crumbs. I want to feed whoever it is that you would put in front of me with the life-giving message of Jesus with the life-altering experience of what it is when you put your touch on the gifts you've put into our hands. So Lord, don't let any of us 
Don't let any of us just walk out thinking, well, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything that Jesus could touch because I have nothing. Lord, you've told us that that's not true. Help us to embrace it. Take it to you asking for your touch, your leading, your empowerment, your vision, then together getting it done for the sake of your glory. Lord, use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.